It is good to see you today. We doing good? I hope, you're, I hope you've had a good week uh, on a very, very shallow yet super fun point. Since we last met, the Chiefs won. And not just once, but twice, which seems really weird in just a week, doesn't it? But hey, we might as well, uh, we might as well enjoy. And speaking of enjoy, one more time, I, I just want to say giant thank you uh, to everybody who was a part of yesterday morning uh, as we gathered on a beautiful morning. The breeze was blowing, the sun was shining, and uh, people walked, and some ran, and some ran fast, uh, but we did all that together, some with dogs, which was really cool. That was cool. Uh, but we did it all for a super cause, uh, running for our shelters, which means we're, we're running to, to raise funds to help uh, kids in different parts of the world who are in our shelters. Uh, just cannot thank you enough. So much fun doing that together. It really was. And speaking of together, um, I, I want to, real quick before we dig into the text today, remind you of another opportunity coming this week um, of which we can operate together, right? Take some steps in, in growing uh, toward Jesus together. And it is a Bible study that's going to launch this week. Um, it's called Lord, Teach Me to Pray. Uh, Ms. Barbeard is going to be um, leading that. It's a six-week study. Uh, my wife and I um, are, are going to do that study together, which I think that's super cool for us because a lot of times I'm up here doing this and I don't get to sit with her, and so to just be able to zero in on that together. Um, so maybe you're going, Jeff, don't you know how to pray? And I'm saying, of course I do. I know everything about prayer. No, I don't. No, I don't. And, and, and even if it were the case, which it won't be the case because it's hardly ever the case, but even if it were the case that I knew everything that's going to be in this six weeks of study, am I the only one that God is regularly calling back to my mind some things that I've read before or studied before, but because it's this season of my life, God wants to go, this is what you need to pay attention to right now. God is always doing that with me. And so I want to invite you to join us. There's, there's multiple opportunities on um, Tuesday evening, I believe it is, where uh, men and women can be a part of that study. On Thursday mornings, there is a women's only uh, gathering for that. And then there's also the online um, option. But uh, I invite you. You can check out the QR code, whatever location you may be today. You can scan that QR code and get the information to get signed up. Uh, you can go on the website, the What's Happening tab, and it'll give you the information. And if you don't know how to do any of that, just look around and ask someone, all right? And they will help you uh, get connected today. I want to welcome you today to a new study series. I think it's going to be really short. I think it's just going to be a couple of weeks called Peacemaker. Peacemaker. And maybe you're thinking, Jeff, hasn't that been what we're already doing? Like, haven't we been doing that for six weeks? No, that was pace setter, right? Pace setter, peacemaker, love taker. Don't you mess around with, right? It, no, no. It just feels like it goes together like that. 
You never know where Pat Benatar is going to sneak in, right? We better just get to the text, all right? Philippians chapter 4 is where we're at. Philippians chapter 4. We've been going through Philippians all year. We got one chapter to go and three months left in this year, right? Just a little over that. And that's exactly what has been taking us. It takes us about three months to cover each chapter. I'm just going ahead and giving you the warning. Three months from now, it's Christmas, all right? That, that's where we are. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, listen to the language that Paul gives us here. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... Now, Paul is not talking to his bloodline family. He is talking to the family of God, right? When he looks at that group of people in Philippi, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, they are a family. They are the family of God. And so, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I Love. I love. Do you all know that a great use of your words is to regularly tell the people around you that you love them? Can we just sometimes focus on some simple things? That saying I love you is a good thing. When Paul looks at this family of believers, he says, I love you, and I long for you, right? This isn't one of those, yeah, that's my family and I love them, and thank goodness I only have to see them at Christmas time, right? That's not, that's not the heart that Paul brings here. He's got some brothers and sisters, a family of God. He loves them. He longs to be with them because he is regularly on the mission of God away from them, but he, he wants to be with them. He calls them my joy and crown. And they, they truly bring joy to his life. He, he, uh, the, that crown language you see throughout the New Testament, they represent Paul's triumph. A triumph in an evidence of running the race well. He runs this race wanting to know Jesus better, and he's being the pace setter, though, that they will know Jesus better. And so when he looks at that happening, it's like they are his crown. They represent triumph. He loves them. He leaves no question there. Verse 2. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. We're going to come back to that. Let me just read it. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women. Since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Help these women. I want them to have the same mind in the Lord, he says.
If you're going to carry a pretty bag, you ought to carry something a little tough inside it, right? Girl fight. We got a girl fight. Philippians chapter 4. Yodia and Syntyche. Now, it has been my observation throughout life, girls fight mean, man. Girls fight mean. I mean, when we were little kids and you watch guys fight, even if they didn't have gloves, right, typically two guys square off and you're trying to see who hits the first punch. And then whoever lands the first punch, there's like then a next move where you take them to the ground and then there might be some kicking and other stuff that happens. But when girls fight, there ain't no rules. There's no rules. You scratch, they claw, they pull hair. It's like when, when girls fight, it can be mean. We got a girl fight going on in Philippi. And suddenly, Paul names names. Now, whoever they are, because we don't know a whole lot about them, and whatever is going on between them, and we'll talk a little more about that today, what's happening here with Right? With, remember the word with? What is this whole study of Philippians about? How did we summarize all that Paul's given us in this book? With. Family. That's what you're hearing in verse 1. Family. Loved. Longed for. With. With is being threatened. Because we got family who are not acting like family. And I love to hear Paul do this. I, I love the instruction he, give us here, he gives us here. It's absolutely beautiful. We're talking about a man with great authority. He could command what needs to happen here. But it's interesting that he doesn't command. He doesn't use the word that's a command. He pleads with them. Kind of like when you may plead with some people that you love, right? He pleads with them. I want you to have the same mind in the Lord. So I, I want us to understand from the beginning, when we're dealing with conflict, which if you're a part of any family, conflict can be a part of it, right? Sooner or later, conflict's going to be some piece of that. So if you're dealing with conflict, I want us to understand up front, it is not about the circumstances as much as it is about your attitude. It's not as much about the circumstances that have created this conflict as it is about your attitude, a mindset. And he says, I, I, I want you to have the same mind in the Lord. Now, Paul, in the preceding chapters, has talked to us very pointedly about what do you do when there's bad doctrine going on in the family of God? What do you do when somebody's speaking a, a gospel that is not the true good news of Jesus? What, what happens when somebody is not dealing with the truth, right? He, and, and there's very specific instruction about how you do not follow that. You, you, you are not associating with that. But now he is reminding us, not only is that dangerous, but it is equally dangerous when there is discord in the family, when there is a lack of unity in the family. 
You say, how big of a deal, though, in Paul's mind is this? And I'm going to say it's such a big deal that he started it all the way back in chapter 1. Remember when Paul made the statement in chapter 1, I want you to live a life that's worthy of the gospel? Remember that? Live your life in a manner that represents this good news of Jesus. Well, right after that, this is the statement he made way back there in chapter 1. Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you will stand firm in the one spirit. And then he goes on to talk about having one mind. Now here, I'm going to tell you what I think is going on here. I believe Paul knows the issues at Philippi. He knows. He may not name Euodia and Syntyche until chapter 4, but when he begins penning this letter, he knows the situations that are going on in Philippi. I would say it is very likely, because we see it happen in other letters, that perhaps they've asked him Paul, what do we do about these two ladies? What do we do about this situation? And so from the start of the letter, Paul is already laying down the stepping stones that that eventually he's going to deal specifically with. I don't think he's being cruel by calling these ladies out. I think all that's happening here is Paul is addressing something that everybody else already knows. Everybody in the Philippian church already knows about this circumstance between Euodia and Syntyche. This is not a surprise to any of them. They know it, and Paul's just dealing with it. So in chapter 1, he starts the language. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, he says this, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. There it is again. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. That word like-minded is the same word that we are studying today in chapter 4. Same word. So chapter 1, he's dealing with it. Chapter 2, he's dealing with it. You guessed it. Chapter 3, Here's what he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view. Take such a view of things. It's the same language of think this way. Have a same thinking, a same mindset. And if on some point you think differently because you're not thinking the same, then God, too, will make that clear to you. Now, Jeff, what is the issue between these ladies that would make the Apostle Paul, like, call them by name in the Bible, forever recording their dispute? Like, what was going on between them? We don't know. We don't know. We're not given that much detail. I am very convinced that whatever was going on between them was not about doctrine, I don't think it was about doctrine, meaning the truth of, you know, who is God, for example. I don't think that's what the argument's over, because every other place in Scripture where such an argument is raised, Paul answers it. Like, he's going to go, you think it's this, you think it's this, here's the truth. He deals with it. He doesn't just leave it open 
right, for them to wonder who, who's, no, when it's a doctrinal issue, Paul addresses the doctrinal issue, and he will teach, hey, here's what you need to know. I, I think what we're dealing with here is we've got two ladies who are not getting along over either differing opinions or some feeling of hurt. I think that's what we're dealing with here. So just because I know you can't imagine a family setting or a church setting where people have different opinions, I'm just going to throw out a few possibilities, hypothetically, all right? Like the difference over the color of something, right? Color of carpet in the church building or chairs or paint or, right? Right? A, a difference in opinion over the style of something um, or the order of something. Um, I can remember back in the old days, man, when we, we, we had the audacity to change the order, like of even what we did, and it's like, oh my goodness. Um, it could be a difference of opinion over the cost of something. Uh, <laughs> the volume of something. Or, or maybe it's something territorial, right? And again, I know this is so foreign to you, so it's why I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture because I don't want you confused. Something territorial like somebody's space, their chair, their classroom, right? Uh, maybe it's a ministry that needs to end and one wants it to end and one doesn't want it to end. Maybe, maybe it's over who should be actually leading Maybe somebody feels like somebody else is in their lane. Get back in your lane. Maybe it was something that was said. Um, maybe it was, whether intended or not, a bit of criticism. It was meant to be helpful, but it was still criticism. Um, or maybe it was the opposite of that. Maybe it was the lack of appreciation. Or maybe a gap in communication. And I'm going to say regardless of all those, and we could like keep going with twice as big a list, and I'm going to say regardless of which one of those it was, what we've got going on here is somewhat a presence of pride and an absence of humility. A presence of pride and an absence of humility. If it's really a disagreement over opinion, if it's really a disagreement over preference, if it's really a difference of opinion over the interest, then we've got an issue, a wrestling match with the presence of pride and the absence of humility. So the way this works for me is like back in chapter 2, I can read, right, that that that. Jesus is humble. He is, the, he is the pace setter when it comes to humility. He shows us what that ultimately looks like, that God himself would, would, would put on a body like ours, right, and be obedient to the Father even to the point of death. Amazing humility. And I'm saying I, I follow him. Like I, I follow him. But the next thing you know, man, 
I think my opinion was better than the one they went with. Nobody listens to me. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. That's a long way from death on a cross, isn't it? But this is our wrestling match. This is the struggle. A presence of pride and an absence of humility. And I wonder if there's maybe a little something else that drives Paul's response. A little something else maybe, and I'm just speculating here, and I know this happened, but we can ask Paul perhaps when we get to heaven, like, hey, was this a part of what you were you know, wrestling with in your own heart when you were talking to those ladies? There's a story that's recorded in the book of Acts, um, Acts chapter 15, and I'm not going to give you all the details of it just because when I read it, you'll get enough to, to understand what's going on. But in Acts chapter 15, verse 37, it says, Barnabas, who was one of those guys that traveled with Paul on the missionary journeys that he made, Paul would go from place to place starting churches. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. So he's thinking him, Paul, John, Mark, they're, they're going to go. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, that being John, Mark, because he, John, Mark, had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Like somehow he quit, somehow he bailed, right? They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And look, I'm saying it, it's, it appears that all that was done very peacefully. Like they disagreed and they like came to some agreement and one of them, the point though, one of them went one way and one of them went the other way. And I just wonder if there's some part of Paul that even though that's what they did then and even though They did it in a peaceful way. Paul's like, there's also something better (laughs) to not part ways, but to have the same mind in the Lord. And when he says same mind in the Lord, this this mindset, this this same attitude that, that both of us are in the Lord, we are depending upon his power together, but both of us, we are imitating his pattern of humility. And thankfully then, Paul gives us what what I believe are just some very practical pictures of what having the same mind in the Lord, like what it ends up looking like, how that gets lived out. And so I I just want to quickly give those to you. Uh, Let's go back to to verse 2. Um, so I'm pleading with you, Odia, and I, I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women. Since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. All right? Now, we're talking about the two ladies who, are, who seem to, they got, right, something's going on. But they have also, right, before they started fighting each other, they were like fighting with Paul at his side. Not against him, but 
with him. They were with him. They have, they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. So when we think about the same mind in the Lord, I think a part of what Paul reminds them is they have the same work they, they, they have worked together. They, they, they strive together. They have served together side by side. Man, they have been in the, the thick of gospel ministry. Again, we're not given any other history on these ladies, but there's a part of me that wonders, could these ladies have been a part of the group of ladies that we read about in the book of Acts when Paul first shows up at Philippi? And remember, that's where he meets Lydia, but, but they're gathered, right, at the, at the river. You've got a group of ladies who are meeting by the river to worship. I, I just wonder, could, could these, right, be, be a few of those ladies who were there from the beginning? What, what we know is they have endured. Like, here's a couple of ladies who apparently could take a punch but not stop contending for the gospel, like they could take a punch from, from the, the, the circumstances going on around them. Like, I don't know, Paul being thrown in prison? Right? That's the story in Philippi? Like, are they going to kill him? Here we are, a new group of Jesus followers. We are now family, but the threats are serious. The threats are, will they throw us in prison? And yet these ladies, they have contended at his side for the cause of the gospel. I think we got a couple of ladies who are tough. They're tough. And they're willing to do the difficult stuff in difficult circumstances. Man. I have felt this way at different times throughout the seasons of heart of life. And I'll be honest, I, I feel this way in this season of heart of life. Where we are really in this odd um, time frame where the last several years have shifted the makeup of what, what, what looks like the church. Like, who is it? And in these last several years, we have seen a, a, a shifting where um, people who simply attended um, or people who even called themselves members, but really they attended, we have seen a, a shifting away in, in some regard. And who is left? Like people who are faith, faithful, people who typically are engaged. When, when I say engaged, it is typically people who have been involved in ministry. They, they, they support that ministry. They, they, they give. They, they invite people to, to be a part of, you know, life teams or community groups. That, that they are the people who actually engage it. And so when, when, when we watch these kinds of shifts happen culturally, and we, we watch the church go through certain time frames, and then there are those who, like, stay and fight. And your, your heart as a shepherd is like, thank you. Thank you. There is joy. There is joy and there is crown in that. 
These women are that type of people. And they've proven it. They've done the same work. They've contended at his side. But then there's more. Then there's more. All right, so I'll pick it up with not only have they continued, contended at my side, that being Paul, but he says in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. And this is the theme in this little section of Scripture. It's like, what do we know about Clement? This. <laughs> this is all we know. Like, we, we, we really don't know anything else. But the point again is, but the people at Philippi knew who he was. Like when Paul said the word, said the name Clement, they knew who this man was. They knew how he had lived the gospel. They knew about his faithfulness. And Paul says it's, it's not only him, but, but it's the others here. The point is these two ladies, right? Euodia and Syntyche, they are not alone. They are not isolated in what's going on here. There is a local body in Philippi, and that local body is a part of a kingdom body, right, worldwide. Therefore, what they are doing and how they are acting has an effect on the body. So the same mind. Paul says here, not only are you doing the same work, you're on the same team. With the emphasis being on team. Euodia and Syntyche. You guys right now, you're, you're like, you're bat- you seem to be battling it out, but do you understand? You're not the only one in the picture here. There's a family of God in this picture. Wow, you guys are fighting. You understand that if you are, are affected in some way in, in, in terms of being not united with someone in the family of God, you understand it affects more than you. It's not just your fight. It's not just your little thing. You understand that if if in kids' ministry there are, there are people who teach and serve and, man, that give, but if, but if suddenly kids' ministry has something going on where there's tension and there's, there's, there's fighting within kids' ministry, does anybody understand that all of our kids are affected by that? You understand if, if, if something happens in student ministry and... Right, somebody has an opinion, and somebody else has an opinion, and suddenly you got everybody sideways on what you, you understand that if the boxing gloves come out, students are affected by that. It is true of the church when there is a lack of unity, local ministries are affected, local communities are affected. It is. Um, I've told you this before, it's one of the things that I've missed a lot over the last several years in not being able to travel internationally because that, that travel internationally, whether we're going to some of our shelter sites in different parts of the world or connecting with the church, in different, 
that, that helps keep me focused on what matters and what's not. So like when I travel over there and I, and I sit down across the table from pastors who have been in prison for preaching the gospel, it does something about centering my heart to remind me what matters and what doesn't. When I get to meet with churches sometimes when we travel and they're having to meet in secret because they're not just playing secret church because they want to be reminded of how so much of the world has. No, this is their scenario where they have to come together under the cover of darkness because otherwise if, if the authority, wherever they are, finds out they are put in prison, y'all, that realigns my heart. Reminds me what matters most when I look into the eyes of those, you know, orphans in any of those shelters that you so faithfully help to, to feed and clothe and, and, and care for. Y'all, without what, they have nothing without what you do. They have nothing. And yet, they are being introduced to Jesus who now brings hope into those eyes. I'm just saying it realigns for me and reminds me what's worth fighting for and what's not. Your broken relationships within the family of God have consequences far beyond just you. They do. You are not alone. Realize you're in the same work, you're on the same team. And third and last, Paul says, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So I'm going to go ahead and give you this one and then explain a little bit of what I think he's saying here. Same mind in the Lord means not only the same work, it means not only the same team, but it means the same home. The same home. The book of life that is mentioned here, I know of, and there might be more. You guys will prove it if it's so. I know of five times in the book of Revelation. So at the end, the story of the end, five different times you see um, language about the book of life occur. Um, there's one other time um, that Jesus speaks about it. And then there's some references in the Old Testament too. But I, I'm just going to briefly tell you that when you read the last book, um, there is a reference to books, period. There are books that are opened. And those books record the deeds that we have done. It is truly an accounting of our life. And that ought to make you think a little bit, all right? There is not a delete button, right? There is a recording of the deeds that are done. But then there is also specifically the book of life. And the book of life contains the names of those who worship Jesus as their king, those who truly belong 
to Jesus. They know Jesus and therefore will spend an eternity with him. It, it makes reference in places that if your name is in the book of life, you don't worship, you know, for example, in Revelation, the beast, if you will. It is those who worship Jesus and him alone. So when John is recording that in, in Revelation, right, and we read about the new holy city, we read about a new Jerusalem that is to come, um, here is what he says in Revelation 21. I just want you to see this. Nothing impure will ever enter it, right, that new city, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Remember what Paul walked us toward in chapter 3. Right? Making sure we had this perspective. Our citizenship is where? Heaven. Heaven. Our, our citizenship is in heaven. In, in other words, when I'm reading chapter 3 and I start to get to the end, it is though Paul is like trying to lift my mind. He is lifting me heavenward that my perspective would be above the circumstances that are going on around me, circumstances that I think make it worth putting these on and, and let's just fight it out for a while. No, he is, he is lifting our minds to the reality of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And we have a Savior from heaven who, who is going to return. And when he does, we are going to get new bodies that are fitted forever for heaven. He is lifting our minds. So many arguments can be swallowed up when you and I learn to live in the bigger perspective of the eternal. Heaven's my home. Not here. This isn't the end. So, okay, we got a different opinion. We see something different. But come on, this isn't where it ends. This is, this is not the final. There is heaven. There is a savior. There is a, a, a new body. It, it is just, just an added. When, sometimes when I talk with um, people who are getting married, one of the things that I suggest to them is, if you're not already, immediately I encourage you to engage in ministry together. Engage in mission together. Like God's given you a mission to take the good news of Jesus to, to the people who are around you. So I want to encourage you to do that together. You know why I encourage them to do that together? It's because when they see the big fight, they are less likely to engage in the little fight. They are less likely to fight one another when they understand the grand picture of a bigger enemy, of a bigger fight, but of a bigger victory. But I also want to kind of wrap it with you understanding that I'm not just saying even, man, you'll fight less if you will stay focused on accomplishing acts of ministry because of this story. After 
the disciples return from being sent out by Jesus for them to do ministry, we'll call it. And when I say do ministry, man, they, there were some supernatural things that happened, right? Jesus sends out the 12. He, he tells them, he, he has them engage, and then they're reporting back, and, and they see some amazing stuff happen. But then this is what Jesus says after that. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, because that was a part of what they saw. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Interesting. Come on, don't, don't twist what I'm saying here. I, man, to, for them to see the Spirit submit to them, for them to see supernatural things happen, for them to, to see ministry done with, we'll call it success, that's really cool. But you know what Jesus reminded them of? <laughs> you know what is greatest? Your names are written in heaven. You, you belong in this family, Right? There is an eternal picture here. Here's why I'm bringing it up. You want to know where I see the most conflict tend to happen among the people of God? Doing ministry. It's details of how we going to do this, and I don't think that's how we should do this. And I, Well, I think it should be this way, and I think it should be this way. Well, I think it should be this color. Well, I think it should sit there. I, 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 I think it should be, right? In other words, here's, here's what can happen. We get engaged in, in wanting to right, serve, and we get engaged in, in wanting to, to be a part of the mission, but the next thing you know, we have allowed the details of carrying out that task to trump the eternal picture of what is supposed to be going on and why we are doing ministry in the beginning, this life and death picture of we are reaching a world around us that, that does not know Jesus. And so all of a sudden we get so zeroed in on mission, task accomplished, task accomplished. And this time it really got done well because they did it the way I thought that it should be done. This time we, we really did something with excellence because in my opinion, they went with what I wanted. You, you see what I'm saying? Before long, people get lost in the detail of really opinions at times in how to do that. We got to lift our eyes heavenward to a savior. And a home. So just one more time, I just want you to see them. Same mind in the Lord. Same work. Same team. Same home. So here we go. What do we do with that? Here's what we do. If you have something going on with somebody 
in God's family. That's what we're talking about today, right? You got something going on in God's family. I love the... I love the fact that Paul never questions whether or not these two ladies belong to the family of God. He's like, they're in. Their names are in the book of life, right? We're not even debating that. They're in. But you, so you got something going on. There's, there's some sort of disagreement. There's some sort of hurt that maybe happened along the way. What do you do? It's time to take a step toward them. Take a step toward them. So for some of you, the action that needs to happen like in the next few minutes is like, what does that step look like? Does that look like, hey, don't know if you're listening to the message today, but could we have a cup of coffee? See, I just set it up for you. Honestly, I just lobbed I just, I just lobbed the ball your direction, and now all you got to do is swing, right? Because, hey, you, you have been face-to-face with the truth of God's word, and so all you, all you got to do is go, hey, I don't know if you saw the sermon today, but I was there. Can we talk? Just take that step toward each other. You say, I don't know what I would say. Then I'm going to encourage you that in the next few minutes, I'm going to pray for you. And then, yeah, we're going we're gonna to sing a song at the end, right, that reminds us of this one voice that we have together as we, we serve our king. But your next step would be find somebody in whatever room that you are located, wherever your location may be, but somebody that, that you would, you know, you're, you're going to say, I'm going to trust them. And to say to them, I don't know, like, how to do this. I don't know what to say to this person. Will you pray with me that I will know what to do and how to do it? All right? Will you pray with me? Because I don't know what to say to them. We've kind of been at this, you know, we're at odds for a little while, or maybe it's been, like, so long you can't even remember what the thing was about. Will you pray with me that I'll know what to say and that I'll do this with the heart that Jesus calls me to do, right? Now, is there any guarantee that that's going to go smooth as butter? No. But it's as far as it depends on you, you want there to be peace. I'm going to add this before I pray. As we grow in doing this together, like as we grow in trusting one another, because that's really what we're talking about. You know what this whole thing about, hey, will you pray for me and can I pray for you? You know what all that's about? Family. Acting like family. That instead of being at odds, we're with one another and we're growing to trust one another. So let me say this today, and I'll probably say it multiple times, and if you get tired of hearing it, that's a good sign. It just means you're here, all right? If somebody comes to you and says, hey, pray for me, because this is the scenario, be trustworthy. Be trustworthy if somebody entrusts something to you. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, I, I need somebody to pray, don't belittle whatever they say. 
Because sometimes, I, this ever happened where somebody comes and they go, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. And when they say, here's what I'm struggling with, you go, ooh, I, I'm struggling with that too. So I can either tell them that this is really an issue or I can just belittle what they're bringing to me so that I don't have to deal with it. Don't belittle what they bring to you. If there is something of odds, then, then you, you, you listen to what they have to say. Don't explain it away as insignificant. And listen to me, don't talk about it to anybody else. Don't talk about it to anybody else. It's what families do. I'll pray. Then let's talk to him. And then we're going to praise God because he's made us his family. And he loves us enough that he wants this, as good as it may be, to be better and better and better. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful (laughs) for a incredibly practical place in Scripture where you teach us how to deal with the conflict that arises at times in our family. God, I'm so grateful for your church here. I am so grateful for Heart of Life. I am so grateful for the people who have contended at our side, God, together We have seen you do beautiful things. We have seen you do things that could only be explained by your hand. And God, we recognize today it's not just us. It's not just me as an individual. It's not just a disagreement at times that goes on with somebody else. It affects the body. And so today, God, I'm asking that you would give us faith and you would give us courage to take a step, even if it's small, a step. So, God, right now, I'm asking that as you speak, God, whatever location people may be today, God, that you will help us to step toward that person that perhaps where there is disunity. God, that even right now, a text, God, something that says, hey, let's talk. And I'm asking in the name of Jesus that there could be healing. God, I'm praying for the body today that if we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, that right now, in these moments, that we would step toward, God, somebody else in this family who could pray for us. That we're leaning into you. God, I'm asking your family, I'm asking that your family could be truly your family that looks like you. It's in the name of Jesus.